Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Josh Mann. Amen. Amen and amen. Hey, good morning, church. It is good to be together in the house of the Lord. My name is Josh. I'm fortunate to be one of the pastors on our team here. Hey, Hey, on the cross, we have a new ribbon representing a new year. Hattie, on uh, Christmas Eve, gave her life to Jesus, so we celebrate that together. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we're going to do something unique today. You guys are the real ones, by the way, because this is kind of a weird weekend in the course of the calendar, you know? It's like kind of a holiday. You probably, you know, could have been getting ready for your New Year's Eve party tonight. You could have pretended you were out of town and no one would have been the wiser. But you're here because you care. And I just, my hat goes to you. All right. We're going to have fun this morning. We're going to do something we don't normally do. We're going to read a whole book of the Bible together. Jonah, page 763. If you have a pew Bible near you, I want you to grab it. It's not going to be on the screen. Page 763. Kids, are there some kids in the house? Say, hey yeah. Yes. I'm so glad you're here. You're going to love this story. This is not a good story, <laughs> per se. As, as I like to say, you either succeed or learn. You don't succeed or fail, at least I hope not. You succeed or learn. We learn a lot more when things don't go as we'd hoped. Nelson Mandela said it better. It sounds a little like Jay-Z, though, I feel like. I never lose. I either win or learn. Jonah is a story about a person's failure, like multiple times. But there's a lot we can learn from him. And I'm impressed and appreciative that the Bible included a story that if you were Jonah or Jonah's kid or Jonah's grandkid, you would cringe every time this story would read, was read. Because as his unauthorized biography is entitled, uh, When You Love Plants More Than People. So without any further ado, let's dive in. Jonah. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Let's throw a map up here real quick so you can appreciate just how committed Jonah is. You see Israel there in the middle, Joppa, the nearest next town, Tarshish, Nineveh to our right. So, okay, this is going to take like a year to get there. So Jonah is not half-heartedly disobeying. He's wholeheartedly disobeying. You got to admire his commitment. But, the second but, the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep 
down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Yeah. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Sometimes our disobedience causes pain for others. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the merciful sailors, who can't accept that, rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged, pay attention to that word arranged, we're going to see it multiple times in the story. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Jumping down to verse 7. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods Turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Jonah knew in this belly of the whale that I, I didn't die. I could have and I should have. And God's been merciful to me. And he, he prays this. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Thank God for second chances. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes, then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one 
Not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Wow. We're not usually that honest with God. He goes from not being able to stand Assyrians to not being able to stand God. He takes the most significant revelation of God's character ever given to us in the Old Testament. And he says it spitefully back and says, I'd rather be dead than participate in your character and purposes, bringing mercy to these people. The Lord responds with mercy a second time to Jonah's rebellion. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city, perhaps hopeful that maybe after all they still would be destroyed. And the Lord God arranged, there it is again, for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, his number one value in life. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. The one time he's thankful in the whole book. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and once again wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah a second time, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. I love that plant, man. <laughs> Angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry or you feel pity. Or as other translations would say, you feel compassion about the plant. Though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. One plant, one day. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry, feel pity, have compassion 
for such a great city. What we see first and foremost in this that I want to point out is this sobering reality that sometimes a prophet gets compromised. We usually think of prophets as the one most accurately representing God, relaying his messages, typically words of encouragement and comfort or words of of warning so that we change course and avoid judgment and destruction. But sometimes a prophet gets compromised and they misrepresent the very God they're called to display. And it's not just prophets who sometimes get compromised. Sometimes pastors get compromised. And with the title and the role and the authority, sometimes we misrepresent. And in the name of God, do things that violate his character and heart and purposes. And it's, it's confusing. It's inaccurate. And it's, it's messed up. Sometimes parents get compromised. And they say that they're doing the right thing. And they're the ones you need to be like. And the truth is, they're doing it wrong. They're not reflecting the heart and character of God. Sometimes followers of Jesus get compromised. And we look less like Jesus and more like Jonah. How did Jonah get compromised? I think there's three things happening in Jonah's heart. Scholars actually believe there's three reasons why Jonah may have not wanted to go. On the one hand, he tells us very clearly, this is why I didn't want to go, because I knew you would do this. Do this meaning if I preach to them and they repent, you might relent, and that's what I want to avoid. Why? Three possible reasons that I want to go through, because I think this picture of Jonah becomes a mirror for us. Number one, pride. Here's what I mean. Two kinds of pride for Jonah. Nationalistic pride. Jonah was an Israelite. Israel, God's chosen people. God's covenant people. No, 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 no. Not them, us. We're the recipients of your grace and mercy. We're most important. God never chose Israel in the Old Testament over and above other nations. It was to demonstrate to other nations what his character and purposes looked like, to reveal himself, because God's heart has always been for people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. As David Platt says, God's global purpose has always faced resistance from the nationalistic people of God. Sometimes we are Israel first, America first. And God says, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. You and I are citizens of a realm that lays claim to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Kingdom first. Anytime lower allegiances take first priority, we are misrepresenting the heart and character and mission of God. The second aspect of pride for Jonah was this. Jonah was a national hero in Israel. He was a prophet, and the only other mention of his name in the Old Testament was the time that he prophesied that under King Jeroboam, the the northern border of Israel would be expanded to its prior place. That's that's a message Israelites love to hear. And then it happened. Yes. Put him on the currency, you know. 
Jonah, Jonah. Now he's being called to a total lose-lose situation. Go to your greatest enemy and pronounce judgment against them. And you know, you know God, God, (laughs) he might relent. In which case you would prophesy something to a people that doesn't like you, that you don't like, and then it wouldn't even happen. It's a fear of looking foolish. It's a fear of when God says something to us, the first thing that comes up is our ego that's concerned about what will people think if I do this? What if I get it wrong? I I can't trust what I think God's calling me to do because what if? So pride. The second issue is prejudice. I wasn't allowed to say this word growing up. Hate. But it's undeniable. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jonah thought less of the Ninevites. Jonah was content for God's mercy to fall on him and God's judgment to fall on them. We do this. We are all created equally in God's image with value and worth. But somehow we make judgments on people, not just individuals, but groups of people where we know enough about them without even knowing them to not like them to think less of them, to be fine with them not getting the best. This is how Jonah viewed Ninevites. And this is how some of us view the wealthy. I have to confess, uh, there's a lot of prejudice in the world, but somehow no one has any of it. It's super weird. It's like the one thing we don't want to admit ever. No, 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 no. What, me? When I moved to Fox Island and Gig Harbor, I had a prejudice against wealthy people. I really did. I wouldn't have admitted it, but I thought less of them. And I felt fine about that. I thought I was right. I thought they were materialistic and self-centered and concerned with things that are not the most important. We roll into town on a Monday. I'm planning to go into the office on Friday when I began there. And on Wednesday, in between, I got a phone call from a family I'd never met. They'd heard me candidate, and that morning they had lost a baby in childbirth in a really tragic way, and they said they would be willing to take a phone call from the new pastor. That was my first call. We would become very close with this family over the years. They're very special to us, and they're really wealthy. The most amazing, coolest waterfront home I've ever been in. They're more devoted to Jesus than anyone I know. This woman led more people to Christ in our time there than anyone else. I didn't know anything about them. That was humbling. What other groups do we have prejudice against? Some of us are prejudiced against immigrants. Some of us are prejudiced against the homeless. Some of us are prejudiced against women. Some of us are prejudiced against LGBTQ folks. Some of us are prejudiced against flaming liberals. Some of us are prejudiced against crazy conservatives. This compromises our heart and prevents us from faithfully representing the universality of the love of God for all people. The third thing that compromised Jonah's heart was self-preservation. And here's this single. 
oh no, God, I can't go proclaim this message to Nineveh, our greatest physical threat to our continued existence. Because if you bless them, what does that mean for us? We're not going to be okay. It's this thing that happens in us when God's word comes to us, when he calls us to something and our, and our instinct is like to self-protect. Oh no, I can't do that because then how will I provide for my family? What would that mean? I will go without. This isn't going to be safe. It's not safe to obey God. It's dangerous. We need to filter all the things he calls us to to make sure that it's, it's going to be okay. It's, it's so profound how Jesus threw self-preservation to the wind and trusted God to the point of death. And God raised his life back up again. Self-preservation is a strong instinct that's hard to die. But it's how prophets and people get compromised. Thank God that um, though we are Jonah and we need Jesus, thank God one day a true and clear prophet came to reveal a message of both comfort and warning to avoid judgment. Somehow Nineveh had contempt for the people who were far off, who were different from him. And yet Jesus had compassion. He saw the crowds and had compassion on them as they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless and his heart was moved by even the most evil of us. Jesus stands in contrast. Jesus is the new and better Jonah. And he gave the sign of Jonah as evidence that he was the one sent from God. Three days and three nights in the grave. Jesus comes with three different things. I want to rattle these off pretty quick. This is what it looked like when Jesus came. These are not easy to do. I will acknowledge that. But they are what he did. The first is when Jesus came, he came not with pride. He came with remarkable humility. He, he came with a non-judgmental spirit is how I want to say it. The one, the eventual judge of the living and the dead came, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not, John 3.17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, but to save it, to rescue it. Jesus, the judge, comes without judgment. He was merciful. He did not hold people's sins against them. How? how? A non-judgmental spirit. His brother, James, says it like this. Hey, guys, listen up and be very clear on this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This means, what does this mean? This is hard. We live in a fallen world where people will sin against us in all sorts of ways. And judgment is how I acknowledge internally that something wrong has been done to me. 
I'm not saying wrong things are not done to you. I'm saying what are we to do with them when they are? Do we hold them against others or do we release them and the offenses to the Lord? God is a just judge who in due time will enact just judgments. But he has been merciful to me. And he says to me in this verse, which reality do you want to live in? A world awash in mercy or a world where strict judgments are rendered immediately and permanently? If you want to awake to a world awash in mercy and there is one, then you have to let others live in it as well. And this means we have to have a lot of mercy and good boundaries because people are going to continually kind of betray us. And that doesn't mean we need to be business partners with that person. So we have to release them with mercy and have, have good boundaries. The second thing Jesus demonstrated when he came was unconditional positive regard. Unconditional positive regard. What did you or I have to do when Jesus was among us for him to regard us positively? Nothing. This is what love is. There are no conditions on love. God has compassion on all that he has made, full stop. God sees past our brokenness, our dysfunction, our sin to the people he's created in his image and he loves us. Love never gives up on anyone. Jesus could sit with anyone, the worst of the worst, the best of the best, and he treated them the same. This is the opposite of prejudice. Whoever you were, Jesus came with unconditional positive regard and the sinners appreciated it the most. The sinners appreciated it the most. The third thing Jesus brought when he came was a non-anxious presence. Jesus had this remarkable ability to, though his very presence produced anxiety in the people around him, the woman caught in adultery and He's saying, who's here to condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. That produced anxiety in people. He's blasting the Pharisees with clear and kind and true and necessary words to hopefully lead them to a change of course. And that produces anxiety, anxiety in them, anxiety in everyone. He's getting put on trial. He's getting crucified. The whole thing's intense. And Jesus is so settled and secure in being a son of the Father, a son who's loved, a son who is secure under the sovereign hand of the Lord that is, allows him to, to not wig out as, as he walks the road God has for him. These are the three things Jesus brings, and they're quite hard. So I have some practical ways we can address the potential reality of these in our own life going forward. This is the last weekend of the year. It's a good time, just like a little piece of ginger in between different kinds of sushi, to cleanse your palate and prepare you for the next thing. I hope that this week is like that. We're going to take a moment in a minute and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where any pride, any prejudice, or any self-preservation might be preventing us from obeying and walking in what God has called us to. 
I want to know if that's present in my life because I want to live as aligned as possible as I can because all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus and he gave it to us, regular old us, and he called us to go, just like Nineveh, to our neighbors and to the nations to represent him in his glorious fullness full of grace and truth. And we have fallen short of that sometimes, haven't we? We have made the boundaries too small. Sometimes we act like our heart is bigger than God's. We want him to be more inclusive. God is as inclusive as the whole world. But he's as exclusive as the reality that Sin must be reckoned with and atoned for. And it has, praise be to God. And for those who have been called by his name, who have received mercy, who, who now bear his name, it is imperative that we walk in holiness and love with courage and self-sacrifice, with urgency and passion. Two practical steps to grow in this in the coming year. Number one is soul care. It happens on Monday nights. Soul care is a deep dive into our inner lives to get more clean and clear, more freed up. It was stuff in Jonah's life that was not resolved that prevented him from obeying God and going and proclaiming to the Ninevites. It was pain that the Ninevites had caused his family line, an ethnic group, that caused him to be judgmental and prejudiced. God needed to transform and heal Jonah's pain so that Jonah could look on them with eyes of love. Jonah was afraid of, of looking foolish, and that means his identity was partially found in his performance. And Jonah was concerned about self-preservation. Jonah was concerned about securing for himself safety. And what was needed. And so uh, I said, guys, God has to take us deeper before he can take us further. And inner life work, a deeper transformation for a greater testimony is available for all of us. It's a profoundly transformational 13 weeks. And I hope you'll come join us on Monday nights. It's a great next step for the Jonah in you. The second thing happening on Monday nights, we'll see you Monday nights one way or the other, is a thing called Perspectives. It is the preeminent course in America for understanding God's heart for global people. It's in there, Genesis to Revelation, but it's not ever so clear as it is in this course. It's like a college course Monday nights. It's $250. It's an investment. But I don't know why all of us wouldn't at some point in our life sit as a student to realize just how clear and powerful is God's heart for all peoples from beginning to end. 2,000 years after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and one out of three people on planet Earth have never heard of his name. It's not that they don't believe, it's that they don't know. There's a part of us that cares more about our comfort and plants than we do about people whose whole life passes without ever the opportunity. I don't say this as a burden or pressure. I just say, 
take advantage of one of these two things so that we can most accurately walk in the freedom God died for and proclaim it as far as he intended it to go. Would you open your hands with me as we invite Holy Spirit to, to reveal to us anything he would want to point out? God, we don't need to be afraid of your light. So I just ask right now that you would lovingly, like you gave Jonah a second chance, remind us of anything you've called us to that we are presently avoiding. God, would you point out areas of pride or fear of looking foolish right now? Show us. God, is there a people, a person, or a group that we harbor resentment or judgment towards? Help us to not deny it any longer. And God, is there any part of our life right now where we are clinging to self-preservation? We think it's safer to self-protect than it is to open-handedly do as you say. Jesus, we confess these things to you. We ask for the strength and freedom to repent of them, to drop them. And we receive a fresh filling of your spirit, the spirit that not of fear, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. We thank you that you came to reveal the true heart of the Father. And we pray that you would not give up on us, that you would complete the work you've begun until the transformation in us is such that we, like you, walk faithfully and courageously to anyone and to everyone until you come in your fullness to reign forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.